and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the 1099. As always, I am your host, Joseph Noop, and of course, I hope you all are staying safe out there, uh, practicing proper social distancing. Uh, I have been failing miserably at that. I have been working out outside my apartments for like four days uh, uh, and getting a, a, a sunburn that like reminds me of my days back in the Midwest, uh, for sure. Uh, but otherwise, I hope you all are doing okay. Thank you for sticking with us through the thick and thin of things. And, you know, uh, sometimes in between guests, you just need a good excuse to gush about some games you've been playing with some good friends. And that's exactly what we are doing here today. We'll be reviewing the Final Fantasy VII Remake Cloudpunk, a cool indie game I just finished playing, and good old Gears Tactics. And here to help me with that, our two very, very good friends. You know him from Red Bull UK, Mr. Jake Tucker. Jake, how you doing, man? Yeah, really good. I enjoyed the part where you're like, we're the between guests. We don't really exist in like the bigger universe. The the nebulous <laughs> zone in between uh, 1099. <laughs> are, are you 1099 canon is the question. Yes. <laughs> and uh, last but certainly not least, one of the minds behind SDGC and my video game dad, Mr. John Phipps. How you doing, John? I'm so, so very tired. I bet. It's, uh, just, it's... I'm not even stalking, just, just not just a physical weariness, just a, just a, a general mental malaise, I think, uh, is the best way to describe it. <laughs> life, life and brain matter is slowly becoming mayonnaise in, in quarantine. Uh, yeah, I actually put my keys in the refrigerator yesterday. So if that's, I mean, <laughs> you don't need them, right? As to, as so, <laughs> well, did, did like, were, did you like put your salad in your like car or something like that? Like, <laughs> no, but I, no, but now, now that you've said that, I probably need to check. Yeah, uh, make sure you don't leave any any. If you're down one salad, you know. Yeah. So it is good to have you both here. Uh, I I am so excited to talk about some of these games with you, and the added benefit of doing this show with a couple of good friends is they'll of course have have played something you haven't or have a different perspective than you, and able to offer that insight. And I think we we should probably start with what I'm sure most of the people in the world want to hear about, which is Final Fantasy VII. Now, I I am not a big Final Fantasy kid myself. I am more of a, uh, like, Dragon Quest VIII uh, was one of my, like, I, I don't want to say formative JRPGs, but certainly the one that, like, opened my eyes to their beauty. And Final Fantasy VII, of course, we've been waiting since, like, 2015 for this to come out. Uh, well, we've been waiting longer than that, but we've been waiting for it to become a reality uh, since 2015. Uh, I, I, I am shocked. I guess we can start off with, I am shocked at how positive the reception to this game has been. So, uh, had both of you have played Final Fantasy VII, yes? Come on. Yeah, yeah, I played both. It was my, that actually, Final Fantasy VII, the original, was my formative JRPG. <laughs> and John, how about you? I mean, come on, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I see you getting into Twitter fights very often about Final Fantasy. So. You know, you know, you you know me. I'm not a Final Fantasy guy at all. No, not at all. <laughs> no, but yeah, uh, no. I've actually played through it uh, twice already. Oh, like the the remake? Yes, twice. Why why did you play through it twice? Because it's Just that to, awesome. Oh wow, good. I love it. Well, uh, so let's start with uh, uh, I guess. John, you, you probably got a little bit of an age difference on us. Uh, well, <laughs> no hold offense. on a minute now. What is that supposed to mean? How? Okay, all right, Joseph. How old are you? I'm 27. Oh yeah, then I've got years on you as well. Damn it! I've got you oh, by no. 13 years. <laughs> Son of a. You could you could you could have another kid in there in between. Yeah, uh, I really. Could. I'm a 31 next month, so I'm in the middle. <laughs> Uh, so the what is the the legacy of that original Final Fantasy VII? Because I think that if, because of course there are fifteen plus and, and a whole bunch of offshoots, uh, the the legacy of the original can get lost beyond the beyond the very like meme worthy like oh hey uh, uh, a certain character dies or oh hey it, it has this awesome music or Sephiroth or this or that like what is 
to you guys, what is the biggest like remaining legacy of that original game? Well, what's interesting about Final Fantasy is that the name itself uh, was brought about because this was, you know, back in 1987 when the first Final Fantasy released, this was Squaresoft at the time. Uh, this was their last chance. The, the company was about to go under. And uh, that's what they called the first game Final Fantasy, because this was literally their Final Fantasy. They were like, this is it. You know, we got to everything is hinging on this on this game. And of course, uh, you know, it was a great success. Um, But what's ironic about that to me is that the name uh, the name Final Fantasy was coined because of a last ditch effort by a software developer to stay afloat. And then years later. Uh, Final Fantasy VII was the game to really bring JRPGs uh, into the mainstream in America. Um, until that time, uh, the genre had been pretty uh, pretty niche in uh, in uh, in American culture, um, much different uh, than than it was in Japan. Uh, but Final Fantasy VII was the game to bring JRPGs into the spotlight in America, and in that regard, it is probably the most to this day the most influential jrpg uh in the history of the industry i would say um because i yeah i don't know what the jrpg landscape would look like without final fantasy 7 and all the pioneering it did i mean so i i i feel like there was a golden phase of final fantasies that really just changed so i used to think that uh i was into jrpgs and then i grew out of them that was my viewpoint as kind of a 18 19 year old when i went off to university uh but what it turned out is basically i just really like final fantasy 7 8 9 and 10 which for me all of them are fantastic but totally different games and then after that i kind of feel like i just i dropped off but 7 for me is where it started to get good it was like an obsession for like 5 years i was always playing one of those games well what you know final fantasy 7 um still it's interesting to see the how relevant it is uh even even today i mean the game released i think in 1996 uh, no yeah. was it was it 96 or 97 um, I think 97 for us. <laughs> okay. Okay. So 96, 97 is when the game released. Um, I guarantee you if Square Enix announced tomorrow that they were remaking Final Fantasy VIII in the same manner, people would be excited, but you would not see the level of excitement anywhere near the level of excitement uh, that you did for news of a Final mm-hmm. Fantasy VII remake. Um, you know, same with nine and 10. Like, like I just, I don't think... Well, those are wonderful games, and you know, Final Fantasy is my favorite series. I, I there is something, there is something culturally significant about Final Fantasy VII uh, that has endured since its release day. Um, I mean, you ask any JRPG fan, well, maybe not any, but most JRPG fans, and they're going to tell you that Final Fantasy VII is either in their top five or was a formative experience for them, like you. Yeah, and that's it. Is I wouldn't even say like I, I play shooters these days, right? Like. Uh... I'm pretty knee deep in anything that pops up on the Steam store or any console that has shooting in it. I'm like, yeah, I'll play that. I don't really go near JRPGs anymore. But Final Fantasy VII for me is still top five all time. Like, I've got such fond memories. Just immediately, I can drop into stuff like, uh, so like the Hell House, for example. Um, in the original, Je- in the original Final Fantasy VII, there's just a really weird boss fight that you talk about. Well, like a re- just a really weird standard monster that would just pop up every now and again. And there's so many tiny little details like that that I just think about the whole way through. Like, I remember for like 10, 15 years, I just knew how to breed chocobos. Yeah. Even though it was of no relevance because it was just in my head forever. You, you know what I really love about the uh, about the remake uh, is that it still leans in. Because, I mean, Final Fantasy VII had some really goofy over-the-top enemies, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, and I love... And I was wondering if the remake would lean into that. Like when you talk about Hell House or you talk about Hedgehog Pies, you know, I, you know, I, I was like, I wonder if they're still going to have those little Hedgehog Pies in, in Final Fantasy VII. Uh, and lo and behold, there they are. Uh, you know, Hell House is there. And Hell House is now a multi-stage boss as opposed to just a regular enemy. They even took a joke boss like Airbuster, who you could defeat in one turn if you knew what you were doing in the original and turned him into a multi-stage super weapon. Uh, and I, I just, I am so glad. I'm so happy to see them lean into how ridiculous Final Fantasy VII could really get. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I, I, to me, it really signifies a, uh, a respect for the source material, 
uh, and a love for the game in general. When I when I think about like JRPGs, uh, I, I I think that like one of the core differences between a JRPG and a and a Western RPG is the sense of storytelling, uh, and it really seems like Final Fantasy VII um, may have been the the focal point for like what, a lot of storytelling tropes that uh, later JRPGs would employ. You know, I, 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 I myself, you know, uh, won't play too many JRPGs, but like I like the Yakuza games and, and stuff like that. You can see a, a large focus on storytelling, um, you know, like li- lengthy cutscenes, uh, hours and hours of dialogue, uh, and, and really getting to spend time with these characters in, uh, uh, moments that maybe don't necessarily serve uh, the the like moment to moment gameplay, but s- show like here's what this person does when they're not um, you know combating monsters, or here's what this person does when they're just walking around town. And uh, th- does it make does it seem like Final Fantasy VII was kind of the first JRPG of its kind to uh, really say like no, we're going to tell a story on a different, more thematic level. It almost seems like Final Fantasy VII could be that first game that, you know, a, a like, subpar game reviewer calls cinematic and compelling, right? Yeah. Very <laughs> 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 visceral, you know? <laughs> um, I, I kind of feel a bit like... Like, yeah, Final Fantasy VII was the first game that really had scale. Like, I remember playing that game... And again, I was kind of seven or eight when I first played, right? So I was mind blown by Midgar. I was like, this is incredible. And then I get to what feels like kind of the end of the game. We ha- You have the big motorcycle chase. And obviously for everyone um, that's just played the remake, that kind of brings you to about the end. But that's 10, 12 hours into the original if you take your time. And then you just break out of that world. And it's like, oh, also the whole world is here, ready for you to just do whatever you want with it. And that just blew my mind like it really just changed things for me because i was used to playing things like metal gear solid right where it was very small very contained and even though they're phenomenal games like nothing could really offer up the scope that ff7 had at the time you know you know what's interesting about that to me is you know i've seen some criticisms of the first game uh or i'm sorry i've seen some criticisms of the of the remake not the first game uh, in that, you know, oh, it's 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 pretty linear and it kind of takes you from point A to point B and there's not a whole lot of opportunity for exploration. But I mean, one, that was that was Midgar in the original game. I mean, it's it's not like you were on an open world map. You, you were limited as to as to where you could go. And and two, you know, I've you know, I saw this complaint a lot with Final Fantasy 10 and Final Fantasy 13. Every Final Fantasy game is linear. Every yeah. single one. The the world map is there to give you the illusion of of choice, but in reality, you're still like the story is still going forward on a on on it, it's it's a point A to point B, and at some point you've got to continue the story. None of these games have worlds where you can just walk around and engage with, you know, like it's not Skyrim. You know, you can't just drop the main story and go off and do whatever you want. Um. These games are all linear. You can farm, but that's it, right? Right, like, yeah. There's, there's some grind. on the, If you want to do levels on the main map and you want to go to a suboptimal shop, then you have the choice to do that. But that's really, that's really kind of what you it. can do. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, I, I've, I, so with the complaints about linearity in the remake, I don't, I don't really get it, and I don't really know what people were expecting, knowing what I know of Midgar in the original game. I think that like not to not to like bring back up the Yakuza series again, but I think that that is maybe the the thing that I appreciate the most about uh, a game like Final Fantasy VII Remake is it's is it's still not afraid to tell a linear story like that and like let me just exist even if this area is small and not nearly as uh, free as uh, as a like more traditionally open world game. Um, you think about a game like Yakuza where like you're exploring Kamurocho six times over uh, and it's really about like how how dense can we make this like 10 street environment uh, and like how lived in does it feel and how real does it feel when you turn a corner and there's like some trash on the street or like a, a bunch of signs or like people walking by or like evidence of life is being taken place. And I think I've, I've been watching my uh, good friend and former host of the 1099, Josiah Renan, playing the game almost religiously. Uh, 
And I think that, like, as I see him running through the slums of Midgar, that is kind of the vibe I get from it. Is like, here's a place where people are actually living for the most part. It doesn't feel... It really feels like it, right? Like, yeah. it feels like a proper place. It, do- it doesn't feel like an approximation of a real place, you know? I spent quite a long time, um, so in the in the remake, like, I'm kind of steering clear. I think we're steering clear of anything kind of spoiler-related, right? But um... For the most part, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so kind of when when it first starts, there's a place where kind of Cloud stays for a couple of nights, like at the very start of the game. And the first night after you stay there, I kind of just wandered out, and it was like, oh, you know, come over to come over to the bar to meet me at this time, but do whatever until then. And I must have spent maybe forty minutes just walking around, talking to people, looking down alleyways, just trying to see what was there. And it feels like a real place, which is kind of, I think, what I wanted. Like a lot of people are talking about the padding of the remake, right? Because it takes kind of 10 hours of game at most and turns it into 30 to 40 mm-hmm. but i think for a lot of fans of the original and for a lot of for a lot of people that kind of enjoy jrpgs now being able to just explore a place that t- feels totally fleshed out is really really enjoyable how about you john um you know i i I don't really have a whole lot to add to that. I, I agree with everything Jake said. Um, I will, although I will say this, um, there were a few things about the remake that did bother me from an aesthetic standpoint. Um, and I I was hoping if you don't mind, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to just mention those real quick. Yeah, yeah, uh, please, by all means. Because if I don't, I'm going to forget them. Um, <laughs> and, you know, by the way, uh, before I say this, I mean, no, absolutely none of this is game-breaking. Like, it's probably going to be my game of the year. Like, the, none of, nothing about this is game-breaking, but given the quality of the rest of the game, some of these little missteps are uh, more, you know, more vivid to me. They stand out more. Like, for example, uh, some of the textures are really, really bad. Um especially like some of the doors in from chapters one through three, like I'm just trying to figure out. What oh no. Yeah. I'd, I'd forgotten <laughs> about them, but yeah. yeah like I'm trying to figure out what the hell happened. I mean, cause the character models are so good. And, uh, and then there's a scene in chapter eight where you're looking out over the entirety of Midgar and it looks like Midgar.jpg. <laughs> and I'm just like, wow, like that, that really stands out. Um, given how good the rest of the game looks. Um, and uh, and of course, you know, uh, I mentioned character models and the character models for the for the players and, you know, for the important characters, of course, great. But you can really tell the disparity of effort that went uh, between the effort that went into the the main characters and just the general NPCs, because they're they're fine. Um, you know, they're they're <laughs> fine. Uh, you know, and so for a game that took as long as it did and for a game that was supposed to be as polished as it was or at least as polished as it is in some places. Cause I mean, there are some parts of the game where I thought I was watching a, a CG cutscene, and then I'm like, Oh no, this is, I'm, I'm playing now. Uh, and uh, it really makes those blemishes stand out even more. Um, did you experience anything like that at all, Jake? Yeah, no, I mean, actually the doors very much. So um, I think that when I was in combat a couple of times, uh, things just, would look a little less impressive than maybe than I wanted. Yeah. But largely, I mean, I, I I got distracted because it was like I would be introduced to a member of Avalanche and I'd be like, oh, I would die for Jesse in a heartbeat. And then Biggs kind of comes in and I'm like, I would die for Biggs in a heartbeat. <laughs> and then Wedge shows up and I'm like, yeah, you too, man. I'd die for you as well. Like, it was kind of... <laughs> they just all seem like really interesting. I mean, actually, the weird thing about FF7 that maybe I didn't notice from the original is, man, everyone just really wants to get in the Cloud's pants. Everybody, like, like a really Jesse is obvious. so thirsty. <laughs> She is so <laughs> thirsty, and I was honestly like it had me cracking up for for half the game. I was like, man, I was like, Jesse, calm down. Oh my god! Uh, and uh, I thought, like at first it was subtle, right? And then she was like, hey, are you and uh, you and T for a thing? And then afterwards she's like, hey, you're really good, and I'm really close to your face. Well, and like it, there was a moment where she was on the motorcycle with him, and she was like, why don't you come to buy my my place tomorrow so I can thank you or something? And I was like, whoa! I was like, what the? What is happening? We're gonna call um, HR now. <laughs> call my only call real worry HR. about it. My only worry, kind of like looking forwards, I guess, as I got scared, is um, you remember how in the original game, Calm is like 
60 minutes of exposition with a save point in the middle. Yes. And you know how you know how Square Enix have kind of done this thing where they've taken an hour of gameplay and turned it into like five or six. Yes. I'm like, am I, I going to spend ten hours in calm just being talked at? You know, that's that's, <laughs> like, it, that's my fear. It's really interesting that you mentioned that because I I have been theorizing as to how much of the original game will be in the next. Uh, it, you know, Midgar was a natural stopping point for this one. Um, for the next game, um, I don't know. Like I, I, I've been thinking about this quite a bit and, uh, I think, I think you're looking at three, three different games. I think there's enough, yeah. I think they can stretch this out to three different games. I, I, I think that your big hub in the next one is going to be Junon. And, yeah. and I think you are going to see it go on t- until the Temple of the Ancients. I think that's a I, I, I think that's a natural stopping point for for part two. Um it, it gives you, you know, it gives you a Genova fight at the end, uh, which would be good for a final boss. And uh I, I, I think that's pro and then after that, uh it'll, you know, spoiler alert for a you know game that came out in nineteen ninety six, you know, like it, it'll end with uh Aerith dying and uh and it'll, you know, and you'll get a cliffhanger and then it'll pick up uh, after that for the for the final. Part. So I have, I, I largely agree with you. The only thing that I would say, maybe, because it would completely break the entire world. And I think Square Enix kind of know what they're doing is, you know, how there's I'm trying to put this in a delicate way. You know how there are suggestions that this game maybe won't play out the exact same way as you. I was going to No, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, you know what? Can we just like. Let's just be blunt about it. I mean, basically, is that there are there are hints in that game, stepping away from the story completely, uh, where they suggest that this is not going to play out exactly the same way as the other one, and there is a in-game force that's kind of making that happen yeah. and making reference to the fact that this is a remake, like, and and that is that's upset some certain people. Uh, people have been talking about it quite a lot, so I feel like we could just kind of address it there and then not really talk about the specifics. But I do feel like if they go to Temple of the Ancients for the next one. They would completely just the fan base would just erupt if that stepped in and Aerys just wasn't killed, because that's that's what everyone but that's what everyone's wanted, right? Like, I, I I feel like I, I would be I, fascinated by that because like even even for someone like me who hasn't played the original, it's just been you know memed into the ground for a, a couple of decades, and like I I'm, when I was a kid, um, sorry I interrupted you there, but when I was a kid there were two there were two kind of fictional cheats that everyone would talk about as like eight nine-year-olds like it was a big thing there was like oh team raider naked cheat which was ridiculous <laughs> but we were kids and then there was resurrecting heiress cheat yeah. and it didn't exist <laughs> but but everyone wanted Everybody it to, wanted. and that was all anyone talked about i don't think they're gonna do that um I, I i don't i i think i think a lot of the major story points will stay will stay unchanged um you know what's funny about the the force in the game that is trying to keep things on track? Like, as don't, I don't talk about Star Wars now. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I I even I hadn't even thought about that until you just said it. Yeah, we recorded this on May the eighth, man. But, so. yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, there were a lot of you know, you know how the gamers get a lot of angry gamers out there. Uh, about, oh my god, imagine Skywalker's <laughs> rise up. Yeah, about uh, you know, about certain you know suggestions of changes to the story. And I had, uh, and I couldn't stop laughing because I imagined that force in the game is just all the angry gamers trying to keep Square from deviating off the path, and just every time it looked like something might change, the gamers swoop in and they're like, "No!" <laughs> and uh, trying to keep the game as close to the original as possible. And I, every time I think about it, I start laughing. <laughs> what is, so uh, like jumping off of that? I I think it is it is important to ask uh, why. It does seem like this game, people were shocked at how well it uh, built off of the original. Of course, you have a completely revamped combat system. Um, but also, I mean, like, y- you do get to see, uh, because it's a it's a 10-hour stretch of game stretched out to 30 or 40 and, and expanded upon, you do get to see these characters in some really different lights. And I guess, is there, for either of you, is there any, like, sort of character beat or moment or arc, uh, or mini arc, rather, that uh pays off in a more meaningful way now that like we have this uh this new uh extended world to explore 
I I actually think the the avalanche uh, like well that cell of avalanche that you kind of roll with um, their arc is way more satisfying now that it's stretched out because you get to know all of them individually before you guys kind of part company. Yeah, that's I I agree. That was going to be my answer as well. Um, they've taken three characters that live for a few hours in the original game and flushed them out, given them backstory, given them really meaningful and poignant character moments and interactions with each other. And, uh, you know, when, you know, when, when things went down the way they did in the first game, you know, I was like, oh, well, they're gone. Uh, and when things went down, like they did in the remake, I was like, oh no, like, like it was, you know, that is, that's the advantage of doing what they're doing is those little character moments that we took for granted in the original game are so much more meaningful now because we have been allowed deeper into these characters minds and their hearts and and we there are things about them that we know now that that cause us to feel joy or or sorrow at, at depending on what happens within the game and i think that's brilliant i i think that that was the right move um can i talk about one thing that actually really annoyed me with the story though like it it's it. something that i just so they kind of um so in in the original in the original Final Fantasy, they are like avalanche of terrorists, right? That that is the point. They are eco terrorists. They do kind of go around and blow stuff up. Um, there's a reframing of it in this that avalanche are actually kind of good guys, like you know, like terrorist light diet terrorism, I suppose. Um, and actually, Shinra are the bad guys, and they're deliberately making all of these atrocities worse to make avalanche look bad. And I just it just feels a little bit toothless, you know? Like it it really annoyed me at the time. Yeah, it it was. <sighs> I was uh, I was weird about that as well. Um, you're, and you're talking like one of the moments specifically is during the first bombing run. It, it's it's explicitly shown that that Shinra is the cause for all that devastation, and not Avalanche. Um, you know, and uh, and uh, I, as for, the second bombing run as well, right before you show you know fight Airbuster. You know, they're like, oh, well, it was actually, you know, it's it's Shinra that is responsible for the the true destruction of the reactors. And and I agree with you. you know, I, I was like, I really liked the I like the moral gray area in the first game where where it was like, you know, OK, you know, these these guys really are terrorists, you know, and uh, and it caused Barrett and the other characters to kind of question their actions a little bit. Uh, and in, yeah. and and in this one, by by taking that moral ambiguity away, I agree. I, I'm not sure. Like like in the big scheme of things, is it that big of a deal? Yeah, not really. But but at the same time, yeah, I think it toothless. I think is a is a good phrase. I agree with you. And it's just a shame because the idea that these protagonists, like for me as a kid, and like thinking about it for years afterwards, like the idea that these protagonists weren't really good people, but they were trying to do the right thing. Is like that. That's quite an interesting thing to think about and kind of chew over. Whereas in this, every time you're like, "Oh well, I mean, blowing this up and depriving people of power is bad," then they were like, "Don't worry though, Shinra's real bad. Look what they've done exactly. to the outside." And and I feel like if they had not done that, and you'd come out and you'd gone through the devastation. There's a scene very early on where you have to walk through kind of the aftermath of one one of the bomb attacks. If they hadn't done that, and you'd thought you'd caused it, even if they showed that later, it would have landed so much better. I, I think one of the like more interesting things that things that happens when you like remake a, a beloved franchise, of course, is especially in a case where we get to explore these characters more, uh, is that over time, of course, our head canon becomes uh, personalized, and we we take bits and pieces of what we liked the most about a cast of characters and kind of put little pieces of ourselves onto them as well. And like Final Fantasy seven, you know, had uh, Advent children was a lot of people's like first eh, real exposure to that uh, particular universe. And I think it, I think it, when you, you run the risk of course, with a, with a major remake like this of going against someone's like personal headcanon of like, Oh, I, I imagine Jesse looking like this or acting like this when I don't see, or when, you know, cloud isn't around or something. Uh, and it is, it is really interesting to hear you guys kind of pick apart the, what the, the impressions were from 96, 97 and now 20 years later, uh, 20, 20 plus years later, 
is is pretty fascinating. But uh, yeah, so I guess let's let's say how about last kind of point on Final Fantasy VII before we transition into Cloudpunk and Gears Tactics. I guess just having both of you like having looking back on your experience with it now. I mean like like anyone else i was curious for five years whether or not square enix could actually pull this off and like maybe it would be competent but would it be good and it really seems like most camps have landed on this is a pretty good if not great remake you know like john you said it might be your game of the year and that that says something because it's it's been a pretty good year for games and so far and uh uh do you guys think that uh going forward part two and maybe a part three uh could could land that same uh with that same amount of gravitas or do you think that like they'll have to continue evolving the game in some way i think there's going to be kind of like a happy medium to be honest with you um i think there are there are certain things about the original game that can be improved upon uh just like they did with like for example the honeybee inn in this game you know like like a lot of that problematic stuff was was changed to something much more palatable um the big story beats i i I still think uh i I still think you're gonna see all those same big story beats hit even if they're delivered a little differently um I, i i i think the major those major key plot points from the first game are are still going to be there uh, but in between those, I think there's a lot of room for more nuance, uh, which is what we saw here. And I really hope that I really hope that Square Enix continues to be really, really bold in the way they deliver this this new interpretation of a of a classic game. That's one of the things I really loved about the first one, and I hope they continue along that path. How about you, Jake? Um, I. The same thing. I'm actually. I hope that they temper their urge to kind of. Sorry, I to kind of uh, reframe it. I, I hope that they continue making bold choices, and I hope that they don't kind of make the choices like, like paring back the impact of Avalanche being terrorist, right? Like I hope that they kind of stay brave and they make a lot of choices. I think we're about to see some really interesting stuff because they're going to go into places like Golden Saucer, right? And uh, and and like as soon as you go places like that i think there's a chance to really improve and and make a lot of those places really interesting for people who can play in the game and i just hope that they do that but still but don't don't take the original as canon and still make some interesting choices and then people will keep paying attention yeah i, I think of of all the things that that sense of awareness that like hey this is a remake and like things aren't playing 100 percent out the same way as they did in the original game uh maybe they end up in the same place but like they happen they the course of getting there is is different um shows that square has a level of awareness of of one the game's broader cultural impact uh but also is willing to say like what what if we tried to interrogate what this really meant or tried to dig a little deeper and like not everything seems to to land from what you guys have said but uh for the most part it seems really really strong so yeah that is final fantasy 7 how many uh oversized buster swords out of 10 would either of you give it uh i would give it nine and a half buster swords out of a possible 10 okay jake yeah i uh i believe i gave it 4.5 4.5 Buster Swords out of uh, out of five in my review, so I would say probably yeah nine nine point five and a bigger. Hell yeah! All right, but I'd recommend it to everyone. Is the key thing. Like I genuinely would just be like, you should play this. It's interesting. I've been uh, I've been deliberately like avoiding uh, watching my roommate play it uh, for the most part. Like I I know some story beats and everything, but for the most part, I'm like I'm kind of eager to to exp- uh, experience it on myself. So. And let's switch over to quickly Gears Tactics. Um, Jake, was this the other one that you had reviewed for Red Bull? Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't. I um, so <laughs> weirdly, I basically I work for Red Bull kind of four days a week as a consultant to help them nail all of their uh, games content. Uh, but then I kind of review games separately. So, so um, yeah, Gears Tactics and Final Fantasy I did for Tech Advisor, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I basically did them one after the other. <laughs> Not uh, having having also played Gears Tactics, I wrote I wrote the wiki for IGN uh, just to make some money here during a quarantine, and 
Yeah. Uh, oh boy, that game is longer than I gave it credit for. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, who would have thought that that the more XCOMy tactics game this this month would have not been the XCOM game? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, John, I don't know. Are you uh, are you into the Gears of War franchise at all? Um, I mean, I've played, uh, I've played Gears of War 3. Um, (laughs) I I love, I I mean, you get it. Yeah. 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 Like it's, it's one of those things like Gears for me is, is one of those franchises where like I get the distinct impression. If you've played one, you've played all of them. Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like I'm, I'm not like, you know, I'm not, you know, taking a dump all over the Gears franchise. Um, it's just it, it's not really my thing. Um, I do love uh, real time strategy games, uh, so I, I have not played Gears Tactics. Uh, I have not played it yet. Uh, Zach, uh, one of my co hosts on SDGC, actually did the review for it, and he loved it. Um, he, now, now that that is a big he is a big uh, fan of, of of Gears in general. Uh, I don't see my I don't see myself dipping my toe into that water anytime soon, just because there are so many other things I'm trying to get through. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those games where like it, it really succeeds because it, it will succeed probably financially because it's on Xbox Game or PC Game Pass and will be coming to Xbox Game Pass right. eventually um, when they when they make that port. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right on the ball. Uh, pretty much from Gears One to Gears Five, like the the flow of gameplay has not changed that much. Um, it's it's been you know smoothened and little features added and everything. But like the crux of you know Gears of War really popularized the like dip into uh, waist high cover pop and stop pop and stop uh, and it is actually kind of fascinating how long it took us to get a gears tactics game because you think about like gears of war it's not it's not doom you're not really running up in everybody's face and like constantly dashing around a environment it's it is it was already like a tactics game where you know, Maybe someone attacks from the front, uh, but like you really, you really want to think about what are your flanking routes every time. And this is uh, Gears Tactics is certainly this will be a shorter conversation, I think, than the Final Fantasy VII talk because it's it's more mechanics than anything. But right. uh, it is it is fascinating to see how they've translated that core uh, roadie run into cover pop and stop experience of of mainline Gears of War. And made it into a yes XCOM style uh, uh, tactical game where you're really you like you're you're looking at percentage counts and you're uh, trying to gauge like is it is it worth it to take this shot and like you know if I miss three shots in a row how screwed am I? Uh, but they've also just maintained the sense of speed. It is the fastest tactics game I've played in a long time. I don't know if you feel the same, Jake. Yeah, so a really interesting thing for me is that, so I love, so I already said I love shooters, I'm that guy, right? But I also love tactics games. So for me, this is like, it was like, oh, that, this this is absolutely perfect. What they've basically done is they've taken XCOM and I think amped it up is basically the best term. Like it feels, it feels like video game thrash metal. Uh, it's like <laughs> you kind of all, you dig in yeah. into cover and it's like, there's five guys over there and you have two actions left. And in XCOM, it'd be Overwatch play safe and it gives war it's like charge that man with your bayonet sword and Fuck so you run up, over there yeah. and it's like now everyone has an extra action now execute this man and you run over and like beat him to death with the butt of a shotgun and it's like now you can all move further and then like oh your sniper can close the distance and start firing explosive rounds and it's like properly it just does not stop and they send absolute waves at you like XCOM the thing with XCOM is that basically aliens are more powerful than you are but they are dumber than you are so fundamentally the way that you beat them is you position yourself smartly and you play you play one alien at a time and you and you beat them wait 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 for them to make a mistake yeah exactly and you seize on those mistakes and you position yourself really smartly whereas with uh, gears tactics what you do is you look at the enemy and you say see you i'm gonna have you and then and then you don't you just charge straight in there's like 
50, like, you, you can get points where there are kind of, like, 30 to 40, even up to 50, like, enemies just running around that are all very small, easy to kill, mm. and you literally just chain them together to get, like, unlimited actions and to, like, do your reloads for you, and as you level up, you just get phenomenally good at just massacring, like, 10 to 12 enemies a turn, and it's it's incredible. It feels like nothing else I've ever played. If it, uh, if it sounds weird that we haven't, like, discussed the story of Gears Tactics, yeah, it's pretty much for good reason i think the story is uh really bare bones like it's it's dumb it's it's pretty useless it is a excuse to go shoot a shit ton of locust um you play as gabe diaz the father of kate diaz from gears four and five and you know he's he's a very typical like macho uh disillusioned with the man uh and the the commander of the uh he he hates the commander of the cog because that guy is a i'm a loose cannon i'm a loose cannon oh that that's actually did you do his voice work because that's really (laughs) 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 what do you know about the locusts locusts killed my family Not in my backyard. But, uh, <laughs> get off my lawn, Locust. Get off my lawn. I was going to say, what's the Clint Eastwood version of this? Yes, get off my lawn. The only lawn. good Locust is a dead Locust. Oh, boy. <laughs> but he's not even really like that. Like, no, uh, like like the dead Locust. He's literally like, I'm reluctant about this, but still heroic. <laughs> yeah, he's he's like, I... I you know, the the final speech that he gives before, like, the final, uh, like, confrontation between his faction and the, uh, like, locust leader is, like, when we first met, I said we didn't have a hope, and now we do. And it's, like, great. Come on, man. Do you want to live forever? Yeah, it's just, like, <laughs> great, great writing there, Captain. Yeah. Uh, so it's 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 pretty dumb. There are some, like, fun character moments. Sid Redburn is kind of this, like, eye patch wearing mustachioed, uh, grizzled badass with, like, a dark history connected to the... Is this Big Ucon- Boss? Uh, you know what? In a Gears of War universe, he might be Big Boss. Okay. Uh, it, this, I, I was, this sounds like Big Boss. Uh, <laughs> he's also the one with the uh, bayonet taped to, yeah. uh, well, I, I think bolted to the front of his assault rifle. And so the way that that works is you can charge in a, in a straight line at anyone in that charge. <laughs> you know, you hit, you know, you as, kill instantly. As, you know what, <laughs> as somebody who has served in the military, has served in combat, um, anytime in, in the modern age, anytime you hear fixed bayonets, you know shit's about to go down. Yeah. <laughs> it's about to get real and bad. It's like, his is like permanently fixed. Yeah, it's a like, uh, shit is perpetually I would going not down recommend in a real world scenario. I would not recommend taping your bayonet to your M16. I would not recommend that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you'll just be giving the enemy a free knife at that point. But uh, <laughs> it is it is it is fun to see. Like, yes. Yeah, so you you start out with uh, you, you don't you, well you you have three action points per character uh throughout the whole game and like there's there's a skill tree and like it's weirdly i I did not even fill one branch of the four branches of the skill tree for every character and uh so like it's a little weird with experience point pacing and i feel but they do give you the option to like reset and like pick a different you know skill set if one's not working out for you but when when you talk about like Sid running into a, a group of locusts like that with his bayonet, you know, an execution like that gives everybody else an extra action point. And it is kind of that, like we've all had that friend in a multiplayer game or like a battle Royale game where I, I personally like to play stealthy and think about like, okay, tactically, like, you know, you go there, like I want to be the Eagle eye in the sky, like telling you what flank to take and kind of stuff like that, which is why I like yeah, tactics. Same people. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, Sid or like any, any character who goes for the execution is that friend who's like Leroy Jenkins and just <laughs> is like, well, he's in the, he's in the thick of the shit. Now I guess we better go f- get him before he turns into red paste. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I think yeah, Jake sounds like you were about to say something. Oh yeah, I I just like there's there's so I find it interesting that there are so many different and the way that you can build every hero every class in the game, you can build in four different directions or kind of a mix, but you should definitely be picking one because the talents towards the end are just phenomenally powerful. But uh, 
that's so different. So you can kind of have like you can have snipers that proper stay at long range, or you can have snipers that kind of get right up into the action. You can you can turn Sid into a guy that basically just relies on that bayonet all the time, which is absolutely good until you get to the boss fights, which is the thing I really wanted to. I mention. yeah, I because actually, they are they are they are fucking unreal. bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, like nothing, nothing that you used to do works anymore. That's uh, that's really the the crux of my problem with Gears Tactics is um, you you think about any any good game teaches you along the way and gives you real world uh, you know quote unquote real world like examples to kind of practice those out on before you f- face the real challenge, and it's it's all good up until that fucking Brumach fight, man. Uh, oh, so the first time I fought that Brumac, I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll just rush him down. My guys are really good. We're super aggressive. It's fine. And uh, then he just used those arm cannons, and he took me apart. Yeah. The second time, I was like, okay, I'll engage my brain now, and had to like uh, slowly. I, I by the third and final boss fight, I was legitimately. Uh, actually, I think I did turn the difficulty down to easy because I was just like, I have to finish the guide. I have to like, I have to finish this fight, you know. But uh, it, it, yeah, it, it is a mix of every boss fight is a mix of here's this big monster with like a, a ludicrous uh, health bar, uh, two or three like really powerful attacks, some of them like AOE attacks, and uh, also you have to deal with locust swarms um rushing your position every five seconds and so it becomes this not so much tactics game as it is a like blood triage um of like how how do i spend my do i spend my points to keep these shotgun wielding heavies away from my face or do i shoot at or do i do like 20 damage to this uh to this giant monster and like take off a, a sliver of their health you know and it at no point did it feel like um it it it, it always felt like i'm cheesing this a little bit um you know when you're facing any kind of big boss in like a you know a very like dark souls-esque game where it's like i'm not i know i'm not doing this the right way i know i'm not doing this the effective way but i'm getting this thing done <laughs> Yeah, um, do you know one thing that I really liked, um, which kind of comes back to the fact that we've all played Gears, right, is that they do a really good job mechanically of making you do all of the things that you do in Gears. Mm-hmm. So uh, so they still have locust holes, and you still close them by throwing grenades into them, which I, I think is really, really interesting. And if you don't, they just spurt forth another wave of enemies every turn. So it's something that, just like in, uh, just like in the game, you want to prioritize. And like executions are still a thing and when you execute someone everyone gets a bonus action that's really strong that's just it's so gears of war like i i really got to applaud uh splash damage and and the rest of the guys who kind of pitched in on it because it's definitely a gears of war game it has so many elements that are familiar with gears of war but they all just still work for a turn-based tactics game yeah, and I think uh, wrapping up thoughts on this here, I think uh, broadly the only other problem I had with it was that the the side mission structure uh, gets a little repetitive by the end. Like every chapter has, every act has several chapters where it's just like, hey, for no real narrative reason, go and uh, capture this point and capture supplies or go and uh, destroy this like one random box inside a building and just you know defeat every locust on the way there and uh i i would be very curious to know like they they set up some plot threads that pay off in gears five four and five in this game uh not like anything super important but there's there's potential for like a cool cheesy meaningful gears of war story there that uh uh, could exist in a little higher esteem in the canon but uh yeah i i give it a solid uh eight Chain, chain taped bayonets out of uh, ten. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would, I would give it a nine, a very happy nine. Yeah. And uh, have either of you? This might be just me gushing for five or ten minutes as we uh, begin to wrap up here. But have either of you played Cloud Punk? I played. Uh, I played it at PAX. I had an appointment to play it at PAX East. Um, I have not played the final build. Uh, but I'm, uh, I'm, you know, Blade Runner is one of my favorite films, uh, and I, I, and everybody knows I love, I love, you know, nice pixelated art. I, I love pixels, um, mm-hmm. and so kind of, you know, the mashing of those two things together is really was really really compelling for me. 
Um, and I absolutely love the idea of a minimalist cyberpunk world where I don't have to worry about combat or, you know, skill trees. I can just, I can get in my, my delivery uh, ship and just fly around and engage in a story. And, uh, you know, it's just that I, I am really, I'm waiting for it to come out on switch before I pick it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that'll be a day one for me because I, uh, I played about 30 minutes of it and I really loved what I played. I think this is a game that hit me at a at a similar point where I I I was in for I was in the mood for a game that just allowed me to exist in a space, explore it and not worry too much and like let a story wash over me. And so yeah, so for folks who don't know Cloudpunk uh, developed by Ion Games um, uh, I actually will be having the uh, lead writer and narrative designer Thomas Walsh on the show uh, next week should be and so that'll be a fun conversation and i'm sure i'll be able to dig a little more into uh how he kind of wrote the story there but uh yeah you are you are rania a young uh eastern peninsula uh woman um it's kind of like nebulous what her actual uh like ethnicity is but uh she keeps referring to the eastern peninsula and uh she is new in Navalis. She moved here from her hometown and picked up a job as a delivery driver for Cloudpunk. Uh, you know, it's and it's kind of that very classic like, hey, I'm new in town, so that gives me the impetus to uh explore and meet a bunch of wacky kooky characters. And um uh I I, I would th- I, so if you like pixel art or rather in this case voxel art uh even if you don't like voxel art you know the the very minecraft style thing this game john jake is one big vibe uh it really is is. yeah that's a good way to describe it the the music uh is very like classic 80s kind of blade runner style um it, it is deep and heavy and high and 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 melodic uh, the the lighting I think it is I think it is really they did an amazing job of they have three to five kind of hub areas that you uh, you you drive through like a, a highway to get to either of them and uh, you know loads into a different area but these all feel like really large areas you, you are driving in the air um, and 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 driving through these large structures and there's a fair amount of areas where you can park. Um, and then you get to walk around a, a you know, kind of standard cyberpunk looking street. And the thing that they do really well in this game, and John, I'm sure you noticed this when you played the demo, um, is that the the camera angles like zoom out like really, really far um, to almost to the point where it took me a few minutes to realize like, oh, my character is made of voxels. Like my character is like really, really blocky. But the dark lighting and the the like kind of shimmery lighting of all the more you know uh, cyberpunk signage on all the buildings and the lights coming from apartments reflects and and builds in a way to where you feel like that very classic small protagonist in a cyberpunk world. Uh, is is that kind of like how you felt, John? Like pretty small and insignificant in this world. Yeah, and uh, and, and again, like you know, I it was hard to get. It was hard to get too much of a bead on character motivation and overall story because it was such a small vertical slice. But um, I love the idea that, you know, because in in most games we play, the world kind of revolves around you, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I, I really like the idea of you just being a very small fish in a very large pond. Um too often we don't get to see gameplay perspective from somebody who is, you know, in the big scheme of things, you know, rather insignificant. Um, and, and that is something like, you know, be, you know, being one person lost in a huge landscape um, is, uh, can be very compelling for me uh, as long as, as long as I have interesting things to see. I don't need, I don't need side quests. I don't need, I just, I need to be visual. I need to be interested in something visually uh, if I'm going to do that. And and from what I played and from what I've seen, Cloudpunk seems like it certainly would deliver on that. Yeah, um, it is. It, so as far as like uh, uh, 
kind of motivation. I think I think the character writing in this game is really strong uh, for the most part. It's it's some of the broad strokes that does suffer. Um, I I won't go into spoiler territory here because I think that there's a lot to to uh, that. Could... I'm definitely going to play this after. This oh yeah, it's well. it's, like, it's great. I'm planning to go the whole way through. <laughs> um, uh, but it is it is a game that when it engages with the smaller sides of its universe, the the stories of the little people. Uh, it, it really begins to shine, and you see how this world um, begins to impact a, a cast of characters who are on a similar, you know, class level of you. And it's it's still pretty cool, but it's a little it's a little more gamey when it does the broader like here's what's happening to the city. Although I will uh, like it's not really a spoiler because like it, it, the game makes it pretty obvious. But so Navalis, this massive city, is like literally falling apart at the seams. Um, you, you will walk, th- uh, through a city street and like, if you walk far enough to a, a certain vantage point, you will see one of the like massive high rise apartment buildings literally like crumble and then like smash into another one. And it's not like, it's not like super epic or anything, but you're kind of like, Oh shit. Like, um, 10 miles off in the distance, there's an apartment that just fell like from the sky uh, like all those people are dead and uh, the the characters may like all the characters who have lived in Navalis make very casual mention of this of like, yeah, uh, the guy you're replacing here at Cloudpunk, he was involved in the Sector 14 uh, uh, crash a month ago or something like that. And it's like just another it, it, it's very class. Um, exploration in that sense of like you know we we're going through a pandemic right now and there are certain classes of us of course who like we're just uh uh you know yeah i heard that you know like a thousand people uh in this area died and like that's a shame not going to do anything about it but that's a shame (laughs) and uh yeah so i i do want to mention real quick though and i and john i would i wonder uh, if you uh, notice this in the demo, if they if they let you get far enough, but the the character Sorania is pretty great. She is a, a solid protagonist. My favorite characters in this game, and this isn't really a spoiler. Uh, Camus the dog is uh, a Rania like gets her car, and uh, she she takes out the default AI, which is just like a pleasant talking woman, you know, like hello, how what would you like me to do? And she's like, hey, install Camus into this. And uh, Camus is a, like, border collie dog. And he he talks with, like, a human voice. And he's like, oh, it's you. I am back again. Hooray. <laughs> and he's like, wait, so I feel different. What am I? And Ronnie is like, I'm sorry, bud. I had to put you in my car's AI system because, like, I don't have the money to buy you a dog frame right now. And, like, we, you know, it'll be tough for a little while, but, like, we're going to go. And he's like, have I been bad? I feel like I have been bad and it's very dug from up. Um, it, it is, uh, it is that kind of character writing that is, uh, really fascinating to me. And, uh, final mention, um, is a character named Huxley, uh, who I won't spoil too much, but is, uh, did either of you play fallout four and, uh, meet that character, uh, Nick, the detective Android. Guy? I, oh yeah. Nick was one of the best characters in the game. Nick was like the best character yeah. in the game, yeah. Um, he's he's got a very Nick uh, from Fallout Four vibe to him, except so like he he's a you know private eye android kind of guy, but his something is is wrong with his AI in that he speaks like he is inner monologuing a smoky detective movie. So Rania picks him up and she's like, "Hey, you called me, like, okay, so where am I taking you?" And Huxley starts talking like. The dame was suspicious of me, but I knew I had her heart, and I slipped her a 20 just to ease the tension a little bit. And it's like, oh, and he does that for the entire time you know this character. And it is uh, it is a really interesting juxtaposition of, like, well, this character is fucked up in the head, uh, or the AI, and... Uh, uh, how how do we illustrate that in a way that feels humorous? So yeah, John, did you uh, did you notice any like fun character things as you uh, you played your demo, or was it more of a like hey explore this world kind of? Uh, honestly, I didn't get a lot of character interaction simply because I just wanted to fly around and check out the world, mm-hmm. um, and 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 that's kind of the way that's kind of the way I was I was uh, I was steered uh, by the dev as well. Um, 
you know, it was mostly just flying around and exploring the world. There were a few character interactions here and there, but I mean, honestly, I was so overwhelmed by how beautiful everything else was that I, I didn't really notice some of it. <laughs> I like, I like none of the character interactions I experienced really stand out, but that's not, that's not an indictment of them being bad or anything. It's just a testament to how beautiful the rest of the world actually was. Yeah, uh, it is. Uh, it is definitely a a game that like I, uh, I I think the the vibe of it is stronger than the text of it. Um, by the end, I, I was left a little unsatisfied with some with where some of the threads play off. But I think for the most part, it is. I, I've been telling myself it is one of those games I wish I could kind of like erase my mind and re-experience because there were a lot of moments where I'm like either smiling to myself at like a character interaction or like, you know, kind of getting a little shiver up my spine uh, when Rania goes to a new part of town. That's like super sketch. Uh, And yeah, I think last point from me before we start to wrap up here is just, uh, I think it engages. I I, I listened to waypoints discussion on this. so I'm curbing some of their notes, but uh, it, it engages with some cyberpunk themes like that classism and body modification and like the, emancipation of ai um but i i won't say it really tackles them with more than like surface level commentary it feels like the the game's primary fault i think is that uh when it does get a little more gamey with like okay you have this uh, suspicious package do you deliver it to the client or do you throw it into a trash can and like possibly save a life or something like that uh it is it is a little too gamey in that sense uh, where I, I I looked up a guide for the game because I was like, I, I wonder if anyone wrote the walkthrough yet and no one really had. So I, I had to live with my decisions, but um, there were a lot of points where it kind of felt like it was injecting a little bit of, um, uh, you know, Witcher three ish, like, you know, there's no true happy ending here. And like that works inside a cyberpunk theme. Like, don't get me wrong. That app, that is very core to cyberpunk of like, the little man is always going to get screwed. Uh, but there were a lot of times where like, I would do something thinking like, this seems like the most logical, reasonable, uh, empathetic decision I could make. Uh, and then a character would be like, huh? So you did that, huh? So, uh, okay. Interesting choice. And you, 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 you're left feeling with that. Like, well, shit, man. Like, did I, did I do the like evil decision or something? But, uh, yeah, it is, uh, it is a, I give it, uh, nine AI dot good doggos out of 10. Yeah. I would. And yeah. And, uh, so sorry to, sorry to spend that last 10 no, minutes basically no, just gushing no, about cloud punk. It's your show. Don't apologize. Yeah. <laughs> That's we're not even guests, remember? You're friends, you're friends, you're good friends of the show. Uh, and I, I've I've bought this now, and we'll set that set that downloading as soon as I'm off this. Oh wow! It, it okay, I've done my it job here. It looks a little here. bit like uh, I I just. I feel like in the PS1 there was a load of drive around weird cities, just kind of exploring. Yeah. Like, do you remember G Police? Like, no. I I really like G Police. So G Police was a PS1 game where you were like. Uh, just a big flying death helicopter in a cyberpunk <laughs> but but there were loads of times when you weren't being a death helicopter you were just being a kind of curious helicopter a, a, just like a nice look at this building. Yeah. <laughs> that was nice if you didn't break the law so it feels a little bit like it might have similar vibes to that but you know less death helicopter which honestly i'm really okay with yeah, I, uh, I like I said earlier, I am all for games that like let me exist in a space and explore it and like really feel it out. And um, I, 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 this game was way longer than I gave it credit for too, uh, much like Gears Tactics. And uh, I, I really, I think I'm gonna uh, maybe go back to it one day and um, just kind of let it uh, wash over me once more. But yeah, guys, uh, where can people find you on social media? And like, you got anything cool coming up that you were excited to uh, tease? You can find me uh, at Mr. Megative on Twitter. And uh, I would rather you go follow at official SDGC, which is the um, the Twitter account of our podcast, Super Deluxe Gamescast. Uh, we are live every Thursday night on Twitch uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have a lot of cool guests and uh, you should come check us out. I am... Uh at underscore jake tucker um i'm 
contractually obliged to say that Red Bull is always doing cool and interesting things. Um, but we've been we've been doing a lot of uh, been doing a lot of tournaments, a lot of uh, Twitch streams as part of this, and I will probably yell about the ones that I'm involved with on my Twitter account from time to time. And yeah, I think that's me, really. And yeah, folks, you can find a new episode of the 1099 here on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and the rest about every week. Uh, we are, like I mentioned, we got Thomas Walsh, a uh, writer on CloudPunk, uh, coming into the show. And I, I, I think we're going to have a lot of fun kind of digging into cyberpunk storytelling that maybe maybe that'll kind of give us like a window into actual you know, cyberpunk 2077 and uh, uh, what that story might do with its uh, uh, considerably <laughs> larger budget. But uh, I you can find me at Joseph Noop, that's J-O-S-E-P-H-K-N-O-O-P, and go ahead and follow the 1099 podcast on Twitter, at the 1099 podcast. Uh, like the show on uh, whatever platform you are using. Give it a review, that really helps us out. And feel free to uh, suggest any guests. You know, we're trying to always stay consistent for you guys and provide a good show. And I want to thank Jake and John for uh, being on here and being some good friends and uh, gushing about some video games with me. So thank you guys. Of course, absolutely, man. Anytime. Yeah, thanks for having me. And folks, take care, uh, stay safe, and we will see you next time. 